Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nully with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. John Zoroyans. Dr. Zoroyans is the professor of orthopedic surgery and chief of orthopedic sports medicine at Emory University. He wrote the editorial commentary on a recent paper in the Arthroscopy Journal entitled Soft Tissue Fixation Strategies of Human Quadriceps Tendon Grafts, a Biomechanical Study, with the title of his commentary being Anterior Cruciate Ligament Graft Fixation Strength, Do Ultimate Load and Cyclic Deformation Really Matter? Dr. Zoroyans, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the title of the paper that Dr. Zoroyans did the editorial commentary on was the soft tissue fixation strategies, and it was a biomechanical study that evaluated different stitching methods for a human quadriceps tendon graft for ACL reconstruction. They evaluated three different types of stitches, a crack out locking stitch, a whip stitch, and a baseball stitch. And then each of those stitches, they evaluated three different groups, a doubled over number two braided suture or a single number five braided composite suture. So three different groups for three different types of stitches for a total of six groups on 36 total human quadriceps tendons. And their final results and final conclusions show that the doubled crack out stitch with the number two braided composite suture exhibited the highest maximum load to failure and the lowest amount of elongation um, for the quadriceps tendon fixation. And therefore, they concluded that it relied or that they did had the strongest suture pullout and suture pullout strength. Uh, so, so, Dr. X, kind of tell us your thoughts on the study, the quality of the study in general and the, and the setup of it, and then just kind of your thoughts on their conclusions and results. Well, I thought the study was very well done. And it was, it was in a similar context to where most studies are in terms of, hey, what has the, 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 the greatest ultimate load, thus the greatest pullout strength, and what has the um, least amount of cyclic uh, deformation. And I think when you look at those, they're very easy for people to look at and say, hey, that makes sense. This is the strongest. This doesn't uh, uh, stretch as much. But I think the, the, my, my take on these is that, you know, make, I think we're asking the wrong question. The question is, what is the minimal amount of, of, uh, of pullout strength we need? And what is the minimal amount of cyclic elongation that's clinically significant? And the analogy I use in the paper is it's like, you know, these pullout strengths are great, but um, it's just like, you know, shooting someone between the eyes with the 22, you're going to, you're going to kill them. If you use a cannon, you're, you're going to kill them too, but one is overkill. Yeah, I think that's a great point because it seems like always with most of these biomechanical studies, we're always, it seems like everyone's always just shooting for what's the strongest or what, what has the least amount of elongation. And, and it's hard to necessarily extrapolate that to clinical relevance and, and you know, what is actually clinically important. And, and that's what, what is interesting here. One of the senior authors on that paper was Christian Fink. And Christian and I do a lot of research together. And Christian fixes his, uh, um, his quad tendon on, 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 the, on, on the tibial side with just a, a whip stitch suture. And, uh, and he ties it through a, a, a hole in the cortex. Okay, like a, a, a needle hole doesn't even use a, a, a button or a post. So his is very weak fixation. Um, I do a, a, a similar construct on mine, but I, I use a, a button and, a, a, and or a post. And it's not the strongest fixation, but we don't have early failures. And I think if you look at most physicians, uh, we don't have early failures. We don't have early loosening. So we're healing in, in, in the first you know, um, three months. We're, we're healing fine. Um, and then at that point, you don't have to worry about pull-out strength. So if we're using cheap, easy ways of, uh, um, of fixing it and we're succeeding, 
other people are too. And if you're not, you know, you need to let, you know, people need to let each other uh, know, but we're not seeing that in the literature. That's a great point. So you, you've done, you know, possibly as many all soft tissue quad graphs within the last few years as just about anyone. So can you kind of take us through your history? Have you always used that um, minimal amount for your tibial fixation and kind of, or, or did it used to be more or used to be less? Can you kind of take us through your development of how you got to that type of fixation and then maybe describe your femoral sided sure. fixation for us as well? So on the tibial side, um, we started, John Fulkerson actually started using uh, number two or number five whip stitch. And John was kind of the precursor to my interest in this, him and Walt Shelton. And they, they did a very simple, you know, number two or number five at the bond, whip stitched, you know, four or five throws up each side. And on one side tied over a post, on the other side tied it through an endo button, okay, or some sort of uh, 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 button. And, and, and they had good results. When we did it, we used, uh, you know, we got a little fancier in that we, we, we used an adjustable loop button on the top. So it made the, the um, we can use a shorter graph and we could place the graph better. And on, and on the tibial side, we used a, a whip stitch graph and just tied over a post. Now, in my first hundred, I did use a few interference screws because, and those were my first 10. To, to, you know, just because I had longer graphs. What we learned from that is you don't want graphs over seven centimeters because of morbidity. So um, since then, and I've, I've done over 1,200 now, all of them have been, uh, I've been, you know, whip stitch type sutures. And now I'm kind of using uh, a type of suture that has a rip stop in it. So like a, um, a thicker suture that we pierce when we're, when we're, so we can use less throws in the graph. Uh, Christian's done a, a similar type thing over in Europe. Um, that's worked very well. And, and the reason I changed was not because of failure. The new mechanism um, has, has, does have a higher pullout and less cyclic elongation. But as I said before, that may be irrelevant. But it, it's less of a suture mass. And I worry about a suture burden when you do, you know, two number fives or two number twos in crack outs like they talked about in that paper. Now, you know, could it affect healing? There have been people that have, uh, have, have called me and said, listen, I, my graft pulled out at, at, at six months from the femoral side. Now, I don't know if they, they had problems stocking it, but uh, um, could it be that they used a lot of suture and it didn't heal? So that's one thing that worries me more than actually uh, you know, the strength of the construct. So the sequence of your fixation, you mentioned the adjustable loop fixation on the femur. So are you actually then performing your fixation on the tibia and then going forward uh, with tensioning no. on the femur? No, it, you know, passing a graft using the all inside method, no matter how you drill the tunnels, is really gives you a lot of advantages because you're not going around a corner. They're direct shots. And so we, do, we, we pass it using an all inside technique, femur first. And, and we hook the button and get the edge of the graft at the apex of the tunnel so it doesn't enter, and then pull the other piece back down through the tibia retrograde. Now, the advantages of that is you can have different, you can have a smaller femur or larger femur, part of the femoral part of the graft compared to the tibia. Um, and also, it's, it, you don't get, you're not pulling on that fixation because it just pop, it pops straight in. Then you can adjust the loop, the length of the graft to get the perfect amount on each side. And so that's why we started doing it. So all of my quads are seven centimeters to six and a half to seven centimeters, and we all pass them all, uh, all through the all inside method. 
Yeah, that's great information. I, that's my preferred technique for the quad too, for all soft tissues. You utilize the all inside technique. How do you, how about your, your tunnel diameter or your socket diameter? Are you doing it line to line with the quad soft tissue graft? Are you making it half, a uh, half size, um, larger to allow for any type of expansion or actually a half size or smaller to make sure that you have a full graft fill? How do you, how do you perform your socket diameter in relation to the graft yeah. diameter? I, I think it, it depends a little bit on, on, on the drills. The drills that I use, um, I use a, um, I, I do line to line. It's usually not a, a problem, but I do use a graph compressor now to really compress the graph. So because the quad is not super smooth, you can have some, some fringy um, parts of it. And if it falls up on the end, you got, a, you got trouble. So what we, we do, I use a compressor. I do it line to line. Uh, on the tibial side, you got to be a little careful because that's the one that it could it could get stuck in. Femoral side is usually not a problem, but you're coming around and if it it gets in there. So my I have my partners do do a half millimeter bigger. I tend to do it line to line, but if it's super tight, I'll go up uh, go up a half millimeter. That makes sense. And then just kind of diverting back to the the paper um, for a minute, the, they mentioned the authors mentioned kind of the different anatomical structure and the the laminar kind of anatomical structure of a, of the quad tendon and the quad tendon graft versus say a, a, a patellar tendon or a hamstring tendon. And so, do you think that contributes to you know the the how much pull out force or how much strength and suture strength you need because you know the quadriceps is definitely a little bit different than even the hamstring tendon no matter whether you're doing a you know double gracilis and semi-t or quadrupled or quintupled or whatever whatever it may be do you think that the quad um, anatomical structure is different and so that the suture type of fixation or suture method that we use can be different as well yeah it actually is the distal part of the graft that inserts on the patella is always perfect okay that is a big, right. strong, uniform t- tissue. But when you get above three centimeters, the different um, the different laminations, as you put it, uh, layers come in. Now, some people, you go up and you get seven centimeters, and it's all perfect graft. Uh, most people, you get about five. And the last couple, it, it, there's 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 a layer of either some fat or muscle in between. So using something like uh, that has a central core in it, like some of the new fixation things um, that, that the companies have come out with, that has like a central, uh, um, you know, tag that, that goes through and you use that to, to whip stitch around, tubularizes that part of the graft and, and, and it can work great. Now you can use that on, e- on either side. Um, I tend to use that on the tibial side and put a little more in the tibia than I do on the femur. Again, I'm not seeing, when I look back at all my failures, um, I'm not seeing anything that, that, that's in common. So I, I can't tell you other than, you know, I can't tell you why the failures occurred, but, you know, but, you know I'm, I'm, all comers about 4.2% failure rate. And, uh, you know, if I, and, and that's in a, uh, a, you know, a mean and medium age of about 20 years old. And I don't know, I can't tell you something in common because I, I've done it multiple ways for groups of 100 or 200 and look back and say, okay, am I seeing anything? And I haven't seen it. So, uh, um, but I'm a little careful on the quad, especially on, on the people that give us the most trouble, young girls, because they can, that, that quad, sometimes I look at it on the MRI, if it's too thin, um, so it's like a small hamstring, you can get in some trouble. Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, I've, I've gone to quad a little bit more often sometimes in young females because of the hamstring is so small, but I think it right. that's a great point that you make about evaluating that MRI preoperatively because that quad can actually be somewhat thin too, um, obviously in that younger patient as well. And so you really kind of have to, uh, make a decision and really evaluate that 
very closely. So what percentage of quad tendon ACLs just in general or in any specific patient population, like you mentioned, the young, you know, teenage or young female, what percentage of quad tendon all soft tissue ACLs are you doing in your practice currently? Most of my primaries are that, unless someone wants a hamstring or wants a patella tendon. We still have some football players who, who had one on the other side and said they want a patella tendon. Um, and I, I, you know, so I let people choose, but I'm probably, of my primaries, I'm not doing very many hamstrings. And between 2000 and 2010, I was a hundred, you know, it was my main graph. Now from 2012 on, it's, it's probably, you know, 85% quads and 15% patella tendons on my primaries. Now revisions, it just depends if I need bone or not. The, the, the people that uh, often people worry about are these big defensive linemen, my NFL guys, they love the quads. Because those big guys, number one, it's giant. It's a big, thick, beautiful. You can do a nice partial thickness. You get a nine millimeter perfect graft. Those guys love it, and it's and and they don't have the big strength deficit you see on, on the younger, smaller people. Are you using a bone plug in those those players, or are you still no. doing all soft tissue in those cases? I the only time I use a bone plug is if I'm doing a revision and I need bone, which is different than the European Makes way. Sense. Christian uses a bone plug on everyone on the femoral side, but you know he doesn't he he does press fit fixation when he when he does that and that's kind of the main reason he does it the other reason is he he can he can, he only has to take about a 5 centimeter graft soft tissue and you get you know as again when you get above 6 or 7 that depending on the patient you can get uh, a tissue that's not quite as uh, as perfect as the distal part Absolutely. I think that's an important point. So last question, um, you know, some of the data on quad tendons is coming out a little bit, particularly some of it out of Europe and the Swedish registry, you know, some of it, uh, some of the data is showing a little bit higher failure rate than, than what they have over there for BTB and hamstring. I think some of it's up towards a 4.5%. You mentioned that number 4.2% earlier, um, which is a little bit higher than some of the long-term, you know, big cohort data for BTB and hamstring. Do you think that is partly fixation issues? Do you think that's technique and learning issues? Do you think it's a combination of things what do you think is some of the reasoning behind that well that that, that registry is interesting because it's it, it it's a combination to answer your question but that's not a very well done study because the co the ages are all over the place and the, the experience of the surgeons is all over the place not even quantified and so when i look at failure i mean you can look at your failures um in any of my graphs in any of my age range and they're going to be different you know, my over 30s are going to have a much less failure rate than my, my, my under, you know, my under 20s. They're just in my girls under 20. So I think, I don't think, I think it, when it all comes out, it's going to be the same as everything else. I think it's going to be there. It might be a little better than the hamstring, um, but I think it's going to be very similar to patella tendon. And the other thing is, remember, all these studies now, or most of these are done, are anatomic ACLs. The older papers, the pre-2010 papers, are uh, are transtibial and 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 what we're seeing is that you know we're we're restoring normal better joint uh kinematics we may be uh, uh protecting the joint longer but that graft is going to load more and and freddie Fu predicted this way back you know in 2005 we're probably going to see a higher failure rate of the graft because the graft's doing more of the work than the joint now hopefully in another 10 years we'll see less arthritis but you know, that's multifactorial too, and we'll just have to see. 
Absolutely. That's great information. Dr. Zeroyan's editorial commentary entitled Anterior Cruciate Ligament Graft Fixation Strength Do Ultimate Load and Cyclic Deformation Really Matter? In reference to the article Soft Tissue Fixation Strategies of Human Quadriceps Tendon Grafts, a Biomechanical Study, can both be found in the November 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. X, thank you very much for joining me today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Please join us next time.